am Dee. And I am not Ken. In fact, this is Paris once more from the Terrible Book Club. It's time. It's time. For another. Girls night. (laughs) Girls night party. Yeah, Ken is off in the woods of West Virginia (laughs) visiting family at the uh, bird reserve. Yeah, I mean, he does have uh, does have some winged family. I'm, I'm winking pretty hard. Um, anyway, yeah, Ken Ken's on Ken's on fucking vacation. I don't know, he's off somewhere yeah. doing cool stuff. Uh, so I'm here. Hopefully that's fun. I was here before. You may remember me from such episodes as Uranium Glass and um, such other specials as Terrible Antique Book Freaks, or perhaps you're a listener of the Terrible Book Club, my regular show, where. Me and my co-host, Chris, review books that we thought were going to be pretty bad, and we tell you if we were right. But today, today, I'm here to listen to D regale me on the topic of Fabergé eggs, a topic I wanted to do for Easter, but Fabergé eggs, pew, 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 you know, pew, fucking pew, air pew. horns, vuvuzelas. Uh, I just know a lot of people were clamoring for a Fabergé egg episode, um... And so here we are. We're we're getting getting our egg on. Uh, I for one know fucking nothing about Fabergé eggs. I have <laughs> I do not know I do not know a single fact about them other than that they are a thing that exists in um in this plane of existence. <laughs> and so and, and that's the whole episode. I mean, you got all the information I have. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just don't even know where to start. I've never seen one in person. I I guess I guess the only thing I associate with them is fanciness and wealth um and the shape of an egg, but I, I really have <laughs> nothing to go on. Pretty so. much the the two mainstays of the Fabergé egg is fancy and egg. <laughs> yes. So I think I'm just going to I'm just going to cross my legs and sit down on the floor and listen to this <laughs> crisscross applesauce. This yeah, crisscross applesauce. Get all get all snugged down like Karnacki, you know. Uh, listen, listen to to Professor D uh, tell me all about the Fabergé egg. Uh, this is actually, uh, it's actually a topic that is, has been a special interest of mine since I was a child. I had like an embarrassing obsession with the, the Romanov dynasty. Um. <laughs> oh, well, did you see Anastasia as a child? Because I totally understand if that was why. I, I loved that movie as a child. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty much, that was basically it. Um, I mean, Bartok, like the best evil sidekick in any animated film. <sighs> I, 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 Devin I, gave me, my friend Devin gave me one of those little McDonald's plushes of Bartok. He's in my car. I love him. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm going to kick you, sir. Or madam. Anyway, uh, sorry, so that yeah, a that very bad impression of Bartok. Probably like a lot of kids, that developed into a full blown like fascination with Tsarist Russia. Um, yeah, it, it combined nicely with my fascination with World War One in Russia. So, and your upbringing as a child in it, of the antiques industry. I mean, that all that all really tracks. Actually, it all you came wrap all that together. It all came together, honestly. So the first question to answer is, how did a name like Fabergé end up in Russia? Yeah, I was going to say that the word Fabergé sounds very French to me. And in fact, I did not know they were Russian until you just said that. (laughs) So so yeah, tell me. Tell me how my my people fucked up your name. (laughs) So it actually, as it happens, uh, we were discussing earlier, this all goes back to 
The revocation of Nantes. <laughs> oh my god, the fucking... It comes up <sighs> so often in antiques because of what it did to craftspeople. <laughs> so yeah, the revocation of Nantes was the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Is it Nance? I, I would say I would say Nance, Nance. Nance, but I don't know if that's quite right. Um, let's see what the internet says. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. How to pronounce Nance. Apparently it is Nance. Nance. <laughs> oh, boy. Nance. That is what I'm getting. So the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. Nantes. Of the Edict of Nantes, uh, which was when they forced the Huguenots, which was the term for any pretty much a specific class of French. What is the word I'm thinking of when you're not a Catholic? Protestant. Protestant? Yeah. We are from Massachusetts. The word Protestant is in our blood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Protestants were forced to leave France Uh the Huguenots left in large numbers and included the Fabergés, who were previously the Favris. Okay. How did they be... Wait, they went from the Favris to the Fabergés? It was pretty much just a lot of people misspelling their name as they as they immigrated to other places. Okay, okay. This is this is Staten Island. Uh, Staten. Yeah, Staten Island effect <laughs> on, their, not, on their surname. Not, wait, not Staten that's not what I meant to say. Is it not Staten Island? Ellis, what happened? Island. Oh, this is Ellis Island. <laughs> All right, we both just were, like, yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Ellis Island syndrome. Okay, okay. Oh wow, wow. All right. Ancestors of the Fabergé family had moved first to Germany, and then later parts of the family splintered off to all over Europe. But what's important is that Gustav Fabergé moved to Saint Petersburg to train as a goldsmith under Andreas Ferdinand Spiegel who specialized in making gold boxes. And imagine putting all of your craft skills into something that specific. Yeah, the gold boxes? I mean, other than relic reliquaries, like, what else would you... I mean, gold? I mean, gold is such a malleable, shitty metal. I, I don't understand why we make anything out of gold, except for its, like, conductivity properties, but... Right? I hate gold. <sighs> Gold and diamonds. I'll never understand why we were like, let's take the two shittiest things <laughs> and combine them and pretend they're the most desirable and best things. Ugh. <laughs> Gustav Fabergé's ghost busts through your window. Traitor to all of France! No! Gustav, please! I'm sorry! So yeah, the House of Fabergé was founded by Gustav Fabergé after he gained his goldsmith mastery in 1842 in St. Petersburg. Um, from there on, he continued to train his son in the art of goldsmithing. At which point we pivot to something else that was happening. In 1885, uh, one thing that's important to know is that Easter is one of the most important holidays in the Eastern Orthodox calendar period ever of all time. Okay, okay. I see where we're going with this. Yeah. So, like, imagine Christmas, but, like, times 20 for the Catholics. Right. Say Catholics because that's the only ones I really know. That's what I am. Uh, so there's all there is a tradition of exchanging decorated eggs. That's something we're pretty familiar with. The royals, yeah, would give each other extremely fancy, artisanally, sometimes bedazzled eggs. Okay. In 1883, before Alexander the Third's coronation. Uh, this is a fun fact that I am including because it makes me laugh every time, although maybe laugh is the wrong thing, knowing how the dynasty ended. <laughs> they were given threat eggs 
threat eggs. The threat the eggs were sent by the nihilist party. Uh a socio-political philosophical party at the time that led pretty directly into the Bolshevik revolution later. And the eggs had a silver dagger and two silver skulls. Wow. That's the threat. All right. So so the ni- all right, so the nihilist party was like how do we scare them? Send them murder eggs. And they were like, yes, Murder brilliant. egg on Easter. Murder eggs. Um, they also had the it messages, Christ is risen, followed by, you may crush us, but we nihilists shall rise again. Wait, they fit all that on an egg? I think it was in paper inside the egg. Wait, wait, inside the Wait, I thought we were talking about egg-ass eggs here, like eggs that come out of a, <laughs> a chicken butt. Are we talking about, like, wooden eggs or, like, metal eggs? Blown eggs, actually. I'm sorry, what eggs? <clears throat> so, uh, a lot of people, when they're doing, like, artistic decorated eggs, uh, especially mm-hmm. with the folk art pizanki eggs, you put in a needle on both sides and kind of very gently and carefully blow out the interior so that you can keep the shell longer. Oh, that that's smart and seems so obvious now that you've explained this to me. It is also referred to as sucking eggs. You can probably imagine why that fell out of favor as the term. Yep. <laughs> sure. <does. laughs> okay, so they would just keep the shell and then they would do art stuff with it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. But then Mr. So, Gustave Fabergé was like, what if we made the eggs eternal? <laughs> <laughs> eternal egg. So, yeah, yeah Sar Alexander III was used to giving his wife fancy eggs. In Before Easter of 1885, Alexander III's brother, the Grand Duke Vladimir Alexandrovich, pretty much served as his agent and commissioned Peter Karl Fabergé, the son of Gustave Fabergé, to create an extremely fancy jeweled egg as a special surprise for the Tsarina Maria Feodorovna. So... Rich people are the reason we have these eggs. It is pretty much just because of rich people saying, I would like an egg to be the fanciest that it could be. Fancy and eternal. Okay. So the first egg was, is referred to as the first hen egg, was probably modeled after a an egg jewel piece fancy thing for the Danish royal collection that... Uh, Peter Carl Fabergé, having toured Europe and training to be a goldsmith, would have mm. seen. Okay. It has a 2.5-inch outer enamel shell in normal egg color and a golden band around the middle. The egg twists open to reveal a golden yolk ball. Wow. Which Intense. opens itself to reveal a golden hen. Dude. Sitting on a pile of golden straw. That's kind of fucking Inside rad. the hen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow we're In- still going inside the hen was a miniature diamond replica of the imperial crown and a ruby miniature egg pendant oh. and inside the pendant <laughs> uh, six weeks after that the Tsar was so the Tsar and the Tsaritsa were so impressed by just how fun it was to get a weird puzzle surprise egg that he actually made Fabergé the supplier to the Imperial Court. Goddamn. Wait, the supplier of 
fancy eggs or like the supplier of like jewelry and shit and metalwork. Pretty much the supplier of jewelry and metalwork. Oh, okay. um, a lot of it was a lot of it was that you were expected to give gifts when you were doing uh like diplomacy visits yeah. to other yeah, diplomacy like visits. So pretty much it was Fabergé's job to like make diplomacy gifts and and jewelry for the royal family. Okay, question. Does the egg gem crown in hen in yolk in egg Fabergé egg still exist? Every everything up to the hen exists. Oh, the straw, the tiny tiara, and the pendant have been lost. Huh. Well, I guess they were fabulously tiny, so that makes some sense. Um, yeah, they were easy to lose. Yeah. I mean, plus if you're not if you're not familiar about what happens to the Romanovs, um, stuff would get in the way of them keeping their stuff. Yeah, yeah, things uh things certainly were uh, dispersed. Um, in a in a in a time. Uh, yeah, so I now desire a fun puzzle egg. I now want, I, I want this. Well, welcome to, welcome to the desire. I have always desired fun puzzle eggs, hence my obsession with Tsarist Russia. Except I want one that wasn't, I don't know, I guess I'd want like a, I don't know. I'm sure people make weird ones. Anyway, continue with this, this fascinating history. So the first Fabergé egg was... Guided by the Tsar, in that uh, originally Fabergé's plan was to have the the whole rigmarole down to the hen, but to have a diamond ring inside it, just like the Danish royal one. Mm. But the Tsar had requested, nay, demanded that it have a ruby pendant of some kind. Mm. After that, and seeing how delighted the Tsaritsa was with the egg, he commissioned one every year, and after that first egg... No one was allowed to know what the egg would be. Oh. Secret puzzle egg. The only requirements were that each design be unique and never repeated. Each one have something however vaguely to do with the royal family. And each one contain some sort of surprise on the inside. The first kinder egg. The first Kinder egg. Wait, so have have um, Fabergé eggs also choked people to death? <laughs> Unknown. Uh, okay, okay, because Kinder Kinder eggs have definitely choked some some dumb American children who didn't understand that they shouldn't eat the plastic toys inside the chocolate. God, but they're so colorful. Well, remember when can, you couldn't fucking buy Kinder eggs in the states? It's because American children are stupid. That is why. Well, and you have to you have to eat them with like a spoon now, right? <laughs> what, a spoon? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that there there's the special American export Kinder eggs where they're just like the filling, and you eat it with like a little spatula. Oh God, that, that is you the can't most, choke on anything. This is the most fucking American shit I've ever heard. Oh, you're too dumb to do this. Here, have the special tool that no one else needs. <laughs> have, have the candy scoop. Uh. Yeah, I was surprised when a friend brought us some Kinder eggs from Portugal. How different they were. Ugh. Anyway, moving on. Back to the inedible Fabergé egg. <laughs> The incredible, inedible Fabergé eggs. The incredible, inedible. So yeah, Fabergé was pretty much given absolute crazy carte blanche to do whatever the hell he wanted every year with the eggs. I mean, that sounds rad. 
Yeah, I mean, part of what made them so rad was that he, like, he got let off leash for this completely. Mm. Uh, after Fabergé had crafted and then approved the initial design, the work would be carried out by a team of craftsmen. This was anywhere between 500 different people that worked for the House of Fabergé. Oh, wow. That's All of the way more craftsmen. That's way more people than I thought you were going to say. F- oh, wow. Okay. That's- yeah. 500 is the... T- <laughs> 500 is the total, including, like, satellite houses that were in other uh, other cities. Oh. Damn. Wait, how many people are fucking ordering fancy eggs in Tsarist Russia? Well, it wasn't... They didn't just make eggs. Uh, the House of Fabergé did general jewelry and other oh. objets de art, including, like, watches. Right. They would work on watches from other watch companies, picture frames, mirrors, clocks. Okay, okay. Sorry, I, I, I somehow like got developed amnesia mid-recording and forgot that we already talked about the fact that they did other things and that was why the Tsar hired no, them. No, it's fine. <laughs> anyway, sorry, mid-recording amnesia happens to the best of us. Continue. Hey, it's good. always good to clarify. Uh, the eggs had to be completely secret. Even the Tsar was not allowed to know what it would be or what it would contain. And each egg took about over a year. What? Yes. And that's including the fact that it was split up between craftsmen. So, so the person working on the surpri- the Kinder Egg Surprise Inside would be working probably on their own or alongside several other people. But like in separate teams. And it still took well over a year. Damn. That's... Wow. That's... J- I'm just thinking like how many years of work go into one egg then? Because it's more than a year since you have multiple people working on it. So this, I feel like I'm I'm writing an SAT question. Um, it's like <laughs> three, I mean, I guess you could say three years of work or four if there were three or four craftspeople working on it. Damn. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a lot of work. And these are rightly considered masterpieces, like each and every one of them. Yeah. Shit, I guess I didn't quite realize how complicated they were. Um, wow, new appreciation. Yeah, and it, it gets even more complicated. They had they had on staff uh, clock workers because some of some of the surprises inside the eggs were actually animatronics. Oh my god! Please tell me, tell me about all these cute little animals doing cute things inside these eggs because I I feel like that's where this is going, and I am I am here for it. Uh. The one I'm thinking of mostly was an elephant that would walk and lift its trunk. Oh, so there's also a chariot. So good with a bunch of working parts. Oh, I you know what? I gotta look this and- up. I gotta look this up. I gotta consult the internet. <laughs> Fab, if only I knew how to fucking spell Fabergé. Faber Faberge Faberge egg. Uh, Faberge egg. Animatronic, animatronic eggs. Um, let's see. Wow, these images are mind blowing. Oh, uh, there's like some. It looks like there's a bunch of dumb ones though that people are making, calling Faberge eggs that are like forty dollars on Amazon. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, anyway, I'm just gonna stare at these Faberge egg surprises <laughs> while you regale me with the rest of the tale. A good choice. Um, in 1896, Tsar Nicholas II succeeded his father after his dad dropped dead and continued the tradition of gifting the wife an egg, but up to the, up to the amount of eggs to two a year because he would give one to his Tsaritsa. 
I think it was Alexandra. That would track. Alexandra. Yeah, uh, Lily. Is it the Lily of the Valley egg? I think Lily of the Valley was actually from Rhea, his mother-in-law. Ah, okay. Because it uh, mentions so yeah, he would Alexandra. have one. Ma- <laughs> oh, does it mention? Oh, maybe that one is hers. I don't know. I know she got the rosebud egg. Oh yeah, rosebud. Uh, Alexandra Fyodor. Fyodor. Yeah. Fyodorovna. Fyodorovna. <laughs> but yeah, so he started giving one to his wife, Alexandra, and her mother, significantly upping the number of eggs that existed. <laughs> this, con- <laughs> this tradition continued until the October Revolution, when the uh, Romanovs were imprisoned, forced to abdicate, and later executed. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they all died. Pretty sure, pretty sure they all died. Yep. Unless you're really clinging to that Anastasia story, in which case, maybe one lived. Yeah, maybe she's out there as an amnesiac orphan. Yeah. Even though they did find her body. <laughs> yep, sure did. Um, fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I just can't escape the morbidity here. Um, anyway, moving it's on. A, it's, a, it's a story that ends strangely. Um, so yeah, when the, when the Romanovs were ousted from the palace, forced to abdicate, the eggs, as well as pretty much everything else fancy they owned, were confiscated by the government and held into trust until later during the uh, reign of Lenin to raise funds, a lot of them were sold off to whoever would pay for them. Oh, boy. So they're just everywhere. Unfortunately, yes. Uh, there were 69 probably total eggs created because Fabergé didn't just make the eggs for the Imperial Court. They also made it for other extremely fancy rich people, mm. including the Rothschilds, a rich people family that exists today. Oh, weird. But still, nice on the 69 eggs. Nice. (laughs) Nice. 69 and 420 eggs. So do they still... Are Fabergé eggs still made? Uh, uh, no. Okay. Okay. That's a... Broadly, no. It's a little bit complicated, but most people who care would say not at all. The the short answer is that the the label of Fabergé, like the... The trademark has been sold, and people have produced things under it, but most people do not consider these to be proper Fabergé, because oh. they do not involve either the original like artisans or anyone who'd learned under them. Oh, okay. So the family was like, you know what? We out. <laughs> and yes. They s- um, actually, <laughs> House of Fabergé was officially seized by Bolsheviks, and oh, at which kidding. point the Fabergés themselves fucked off. To Germany, and no longer operated. All right. Well, oof, sorry to bring up another sore spot there. All right. Well, they all lived, so there was that. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. We got some living. Got some living happening. Um. Oh man. Yeah. Of the sixty-nine that have been possibly documented, only fifty-seven survive today. Hmm. And of the imperial eggs made for Alexander and Nicholas only 46 continue to survive. Okay. Um, and those were reassembled after a lot of painstaking collecting. Yeah. So they were basically, like, forced to sell their company? Is this kind of what happened? 
Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the company was taken as an asset of the government. Oh, shit. Because, uh, you know, communism. Yeah. And that. at which point they decided, no, I actually don't want to be here for this. And they just said, okay, you can have it. We're all leaving. Huh. No. At which point it ceased to have any value. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of the reason people were fascinated by the eggs is because... Uh, perhaps not as dramatic as Anastasia herself, there are missing pieces of the legacy of the Russian court. Right. Yeah, like somebody, somebody's somebody got that little mini crown and egg somewhere. That's exactly right. Um, it's It might be out there somewhere. Uh, a lot of them have been reclaimed over time. There's also, what was it, the, the, the Necessaire egg, which we only know exists because it was photographed at Wartsky Jewelers in England. And it was sold to a buyer with absolutely no documentation who was simply written down as a stranger in 1952. At the time, no one knew that these were going to become the keepsakes that they were. And so it was obviously perfectly fine for them to just sell to whoever, whenever, however. So yeah, some guy has the necessary egg somewhere. Huh. Uh, the third imperial egg was actually rediscovered by an American scrap metal dealer in 2014. Okay. He bought it at a flea market for $13,000, intending to melt it for weight, because at the time, gold by weight was worth sight more than that. Depends. Considering the thing was solid gold, Yeah. Um, he could not sell it for weight. Uh, everyone thought it was overpriced. And he decided to research the piece to see if he could dress it up to sell it as a collectible, at which point he found out it was a long-lost Imperial egg and later sold for over $30 million. Jesus fucking Christ. That... So that's one of those extremely rare, like, magical stories where a guy goes to a flea market, overspends, and then actually got the lost jewel of the Imperial court. Yeah, that's fucking wild. Wow. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> Whew. That is... Other ones were actually just rediscovered in other royal court. Uh, England, I think, had two that they didn't realize were Fabergé eggs. Huh? How did they? Like one was just one was. How did they not know? <laughs> I know. They How had a fancy egg, and they were like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, like who else is making? They just don't look at it. Who else is making this? Like who else is pretty? Anyway, that's that's fucking ridiculous. How do you look at that? And so go, I think oh. the... <laughs> I think the pieces they had were clocks. Hmm. So they were just like, well, it's just an egg clock, which I still would be like, hey, you guys not remember buying shit from the Russian government or like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how? how like, I the story went that uh, they were putting it on display for a charity museum event, at which point it was it was lent out by like uh, one of the princes, hopefully not the pedophile one. <laughs> yeah, and the person who went to go collect it for for the collection recognized it as a Fabergé egg and managed to authenticate it that way. Wow. By just going, hey, wait, what the fuck? Hey, wait, fucking dum-dum. And, like, slowly over time, uh, I believe also the palace in England is the one where they dug up the animatronic elephant. Oh. Which, <laughs> what had been separated from its egg, was one of the egg surprises. Um, actually, more eggs exist than the things inside because, like you said, they were tiny... Yeah. 
Oh man, I'd love to see and that they, elephant. Some of them might have been buried with the people who died wearing them. Yeah, that's fair. Probably <laughs> stolen, maybe. You know, I'm sure. Probably ripped off at some point. Eh, you know. Yeah. Oof. So yeah, that's like there is this like extremely like tragic fascination with the idea that these eggs like represented this oh. like this tragic downfall of an entire empire. It is. And just the way they were scattered to the four winds, it's, I admit that it's very fascinating to me. Yeah, you know, I mean, if it's, you know, if it's between fucking fancy eggs and, I don't know, sewing tables, like, you know, the fancy eggs certainly hold more appeal <laughs> and from a historical standpoint. But, I mean, how, I mean, this is just, so this is not a practical thing that anyone collects. This is something for insane rich people in museums because as you well i guess you said you know faberge technically exists again but it's not even it's not even related to the original faberge so yeah it's not yeah it's not related to the original legacy of the company i mean there's still fine jewelers i'm sure that work under that name yeah right but it's not the family at all it's like some other fucking random people um so yeah so so do people just collect the new ones from the new Fabergé? How does this work in a collectible sense? Some people do, actually. Huh, okay. Uh, it, it, it It's, yeah, pretty much it boils down to if you want to collect Fabergé, you're going to have to start with a lot of money. Even some of the smaller, like, less remarkable pieces that Fabergé produced, I haven't seen... They're in the thousands, like, automatically by being associated with Fabergé. Oh, fuck. You know, just even, like, little pieces of jewelry. This is largely because Fabergé himself prided himself on being the artist's jeweler and not a jeweler for com commerce. Yeah. So he worked slower, generally. Uh, but also just because anything with Fabergé is related to the Fabergé eggs now. So even if you've just got, like, a little tiny, like, mini picture frame. And by mini, I mean it could be, like, maybe five inches it, I, I think I still saw one of those go for like eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. So this is not something any of us normal people are going to engage in. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's probably not. Uh, I think most like most of your common hard scrabble riffraff are interested in replicas. Personally, I am obsessed with fakes. I think that they're I think that they're amazing. They're they're so fucked up. Um, they, they're just so fucked up. <laughs> Please explain the fucked upness. Like, so Fabergé was also well known for doing these like hard stone carvings of animals. Oh, I didn't know that. So people will have, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was it was something he specialized in. I think like onyx, like you know, just any hard semi-precious stone he would carve into little animals and so people will just take like silver like cheaply made silver animals and slam them on top of like an enameled base and be like Fabergé egg oh, it's egg shape what <laughs> but they do weird like I found uh, multiple copies of one that was like a silver guinea pig and just like the worst sculpted boar I'd ever seen in my life and like it <laughs> They're so shitty that it becomes fascinating. Like, people just... Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure some people do fall for that shit. They do. There was a very unfortunate and famous and I 
feel a little bit bad for laughing about it, but <laughs> there was a fake that someone brought to Antiques Roadshow. Oh. And I have never examined a Fabergé egg in the real. Even I would have immediately assumed this thing was fake upon seeing it. <laughs> she paid, I believe she said she paid $10,000 for it. <gasps> oh my God. It that's... was it, it was a 2000 era fake and was, it was a very nice fake. The guy was trying to be, the appraiser was trying to be very kind uh... about it. I believe it was Sebastian Clark was the appraiser appraiser. Um, and it was a good quality and made with like actual gold and enamel. Mm. So it's actual, it wasn't, it was still worth like three or $4,000, I think. Yeah, but not 10 or 30 or whatever. Just because if, yeah, <laughs> just because the materials were high end, um, but it was a fake. One of the things that uh, identify fakes, uh, just looking at like pictures of real ones online and pictures of the fake ones people like post out, is that real Fabergé has gold chasing and chasing is just like the fancy word for when they carve into the gold. Yeah, what is that gold chasing? So that means that like they wait they carve the gold with gold. That doesn't make sense. Wait, that's not what that means. What is it's that um? Are you are you familiar with repoussé? Ha <laughs> ha. D, am I familiar with repoussé? We've we've had a run in <laughs> together with repoussé before. Uh, uh, in our uh, in our yes. Johnny Tremaine episode from several years ago, if you have not heard that, uh, yes, that's right. We did talk about Red Bulls. Red Bulls. Anyway, yes, I vaguely uh, remember this concept. Yeah, Red Bulls is when you are metalworking and you create details by hammering from the opposite side or the side that won't be on display. Right. So, so it's that the details relief. pop out. Relief is that the yes. right word? Yeah. Yes. Chasing is just that opposite of that, where you are pushing in the front of it to create the the image. Okay. The detailing. So Fabergé was ex- exceptional at their crisp uh, gold chasing, um, which is to say, yeah, it barely looked like it looked like at some point they had just pulled out the gold in that shape, like very magically, like smooth, beautiful, detailed. Where chasing is pretty difficult to do even on a soft metal like gold. Yeah. And the fakes would not look that good. <laughs> the fakes usually have molded things that are pretty clearly glued on. Ooh. Maybe soldered if it's really high-end fake. Oh, But dear. they don't tend to have any repoussé or chasing. It, like, I... The, the one from the Antiques Roadshow episode, everything looked glued on. <sighs> it, it's pretty tacky, and I... Frankly, I'm ashamed of her. Uh, yeah, that's pretty. That sounds pretty bad. <laughs> oh dear, it's it was really. She wasn't that bothered by it, which made me more angry because I don't like rich people. Yeah, who has ten grand to just throw in the fucking toilet on a fake yeah, fabric? Yeah, like, oh well, okay. Oh, yeah, well. exactly. I will say I'm. I was looking at Fabergé animals, and there is. If you look up Fabergé dormouse, it might be the cutest little stone animal I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, oh, the Dormouse is frequently reproduced, so you could probably get one pretty cheap on uh, Dude, I I just don't understand why people are... Like, the eggs are cool, but they're fucking eggs. Like, give me give me this cute Dormouse, man. So adorable. The Dormouse is spectacular. And they've got some actual functional things, like boxes, apparently, that they made. I'm looking at some collection. Uh, where is a Oh, yeah, lighters, picture frames. The picture frames are some of my favorites. Uh, the Royal Collection Trust. So if you go to rct.uk, 
um, you can see all these cute little Faberge things that I'm looking at. And yeah, there's some crazy picture frames. Those are rad as fuck. Um, yeah, I love them. Wow, and there's there's some really old black and white photos of stuff, but there's also some more updated ones of all the cute animals and, and things. Very fun. Very fun. I really like the animals, D. I'm into it. I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. So that's you can see why I'm so enthusiastic about people making copies of the animals that I can buy for cheap and just slapping them on stuff. Oh yeah, I mean that that's awesome. I would love I would love a cute little little dormouse. Anyway. I'm sure that I'm probably talking over a bunch of history that you're supposed to be telling me right now. So please continue. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of it for the history, to be honest. Um, uh, it's, everything else I have written down, the rest of the history is just extremely ponderous, where it's like, uh, 1916, he made... Actually, there is one one oddity. Uh, the, the, steel, the steel military egg which was actually the last egg before the October Revolution, was weird. Um, it Basically, like, the plinth of it looks like bullets and was symbolized the extreme, like, political unrest that everyone kind of sensed coming. And I mm. think, frankly, that makes a shitty gift, is all I'm thinking. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. And, like, looking at it, it's very scary. Um, I, that was just odd. Um, there actually are two of the Fabergé eggs. I believe both are in the Kremlin. Uh, one of them is unfinished because huh. of the October Revolution Ooh. and neither of them were delivered, obviously, because I, of what happened. Yeah, I feel like so many things in this episode have been because of the October Revolution, because they were all murdered, because the government took over. It's like, it's like this... Yeah. horrible undertone of like well <laughs> everything went bad actually that final Fabergé egg that was never delivered and supposedly never properly finished is one of my favorites it's the constellation egg Con- alright I gotta look this up constellation yeah. egg give me that sky egg alright sorry it's late I haven't had dinner I'm, I'm getting weird <laughs> Oh, damn. That looks like it could have been fucking cool, but it looks very unfinished in the picture I'm looking at. Yeah, I think it was supposed to have gold cherubs climbing the clouds. Oh, damn. Although the the finished glass like constellation port portion is very pretty. Oh, man, there's like a sketch of what it was supposed to look like. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's why they assumed it was unfinished. Yeah, it yeah, definitely definitely is. I mean, they are cool, but I mean, this is like Something that to me has, I mean, it has no utilitarian value. They're prohibitively expensive. I just, I don't know. As much as part of me is like, ooh, pretty shiny. The other part of me is like, you know, fucking guillotine. You know, down capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they sure did get that. Oh, oh, man. oh yeah, yeah, that was a tasteless. I... That was a tasteless way to explain that. But yeah, the other part of me is like. This is fucking awful because who can actually access this and why why would we do this when we could put all this money into things that are actually good for people but that's just the cynic in me. I mean, yeah, that is that's exactly what caused everything that happened to happen. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the constellation egg was also supposed to be a clock. Um, oh. clockwork never got finished. Constellation clock. Sounds pretty fun. It also sounds like a time travel device. For some reason, in my mind. Doesn't it? Well, I'm trying to think if I have any other questions about these. I mean, so I imagine that these must be, 
like you're saying, like popular forgeries. Um, yes, the, there's a cute term for it. They are called faux bourget. Oh, faux bourget. I love it. I mean, I guess if you're <laughs> if you're doing, I wouldn't call it a forgery. If you're just doing kind of a a sympathetic style, and you know, it's obvious that it's not Fabergé, and you're just like, yeah, this is my take on a Fabergé egg. That's totally fine. But I imagine a lot of people are actually trying to deceive folks with their Fabergé eggs. Yeah, there are people who will just say this is a Fabergé-style art piece that I wanted to do. Sure. And there are, uh, I believe, actually, just in 2010, I think, like, 500 got seized at a French airport. Oh, fakes? Which was, which is, yeah. Oh. Like, actual, like, reproduction fakes. Which would be funny, because there hadn't been 500 to begin with. Yeah. So it's already going to be very (laughs) difficult. (laughs) Yeah. Good luck. Good luck marketing that to a bunch of collectors, and then they all go to their fucking Fabergé egg convention, and they're like, wait, we have the same egg, and then, like, 500 people are like, (laughs) oh, no! It's, It's one of those things I don't feel too bad for people who get bamboozled, because, like, at 10,000 a pop. Yeah, that's... It's stupid. It's like, well, maybe you needed a humbling lesson. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you need to learn how to use this money for good and not a pretty egg. <laughs> yeah, that's why, like, as far as, like, people like you and me are concerned, authenticating a Fabergé egg is just not something we're ever going to have to deal with. Uh, if we ever had the money, it's pretty easy to pay other people to authenticate it for us. I remember at one one time being... Uh, really humbled and scared because I was in a room with a giant glass case of all Swarovski crystal figurines. I mean, there were, I feel like there were at least a hundred of them. There were just so many. And I was like, this is the richest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and that was just Swarovski crystals, <laughs> which I don't think are actually, I, I don't know. I don't think they're actually that fancy, but I was much younger. I think I was, I was a kid. I can't even remember like, what circumstance that was They're like pricey as hell oh really yeah i can't remember like whose house i was in or what circumstance that was i cannot remember but i just remember feeling like oh my god don't breathe you can't don't don't break anything I, <laughs> i'm pretty sure that like the catalog price for those little sons of bitches was like 50 to 100 bucks yeah yeah which, like, even now, if you showed me a whole case of them, I'd be like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, it's just a lot. Again, I don't know. It's going to drive me nuts because now I'm like, whose house was I in? Well, I don't know rich people. I don't know. I don't know. Now I'm just confused. Yeah. I mean, but obviously, you know, we've all been in museums and stuff. But that's a little different because those are open to the public. You know, yeah. they're, you know, no one's touching anything. Those are being held and curated for humanity's good. Right, right. It's not like a private house and you're just like, ooh. Um, I don't know. The mystery remains. Who did I? Who did I know? Or somehow, who had all of those crystal animals? Yeah, how did I end up in a house with a bunch of Swarovski crystal animals? I don't know. Who knows? I never liked the crystal ones because the glass ones always looked better. Yeah, I don't much care for them either. I'd I'd much rather have a little animal carved out of like stone or wood or something. I don't know. I, I'm a sucker for a glass menagerie, to be honest. I mean, glass is fine. Just like the the crystally stuff, though. I don't. I feel like what I'm remembering. I hate the crystal ones. They look they look tacky. Yeah, they look fake. They look like. Yeah. <laughs> they look. I don't know. They just look ridiculous. <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> Leave that in, Chris. The Fabergé burp. Uh, um, one of my favorite things about the Fabergé and like reproduction issue is actually that one of the owners of several genuine Imperial Fabergé eggs was a man by 
name by the name of Armand Hammer. <laughs> I uh wow. once I didn't think it was important and also was having trouble figuring it out. I don't know if he's related to the brand Arm and Hammer. Oh wow, Armand Hammer. Oh, Oh, wow. I don't think he was related to it, but his name was Armand Hammer. That's that's amazing. Armand Hammer. <laughs> okay. Oh, actually, yes, I did a quick Wikipedia, and it has nothing to do with Armand Hammer. Just an extremely weird coincidence. <laughs> oh, I guess I guess that's what I'll always refer to as Armand Hammer. Like, what kind of cat litter <laughs> do you right. buy? Oh, Armand Hammer litter. Armand Hammer. Only the uh, best. Okay, I'm really glad I Googled this because of this fun tidbit. Armand Hammer was so often asked about the Church and Dwight brand that he attempted to buy the company unsuccessfully. <laughs> That's really good. He was so pissed off about going like, ah, you make the you make the baking soda that he was like, I'm going to fucking buy you. So tired of this. Just so that when people say that it's true. Uh, Just so I could say yes and be done with it. Oh, wow. Uh, but yeah, Armand Hammer, who ran Occidental Petroleum, so big surprise that he was a piece of shit. Yeah, no, no shit. Uh, he owns several actual Fabergé eggs. And what's more is that uh, he had the common nickname of Lenin's favorite capitalist. Oh, that's a nickname no one should have. <laughs> Absolutely no human being on Earth. But he was secretly, quote unquote, it's now kind of an open secret, had either purchased or been gifted the original Fabergé hallmarking tools. What? Yeah, that's kinda, in the 1930s. And he used that to... He actually took Armand Hammer, who was already, by the way, already a millionaire, had used these hallmarking tools that he purchased off the Soviet government to just mark any Russian item with Fabergé's mark so that he could sell them for higher prices at his galleries. What the fuck? That is the douchiest yeah. fucking thing I have ever heard of. Well, right, and the, but the and then doesn't that? Oh my God, wait. So does that like drive up the cost, or does it demean the value of things with the mark? Like that sounds really confusing. I would at the time it would drive up the cost because You're right, um, people wouldn't know. A lot of people didn't. Yeah, they weren't familiar with it at this point. It would be you know huge demerit. But at the time, people were really, <sighs> and this was before like everything had kind of taken off popularity. People were willing to believe that if it was a Russian item and it was. The actual hall, any expert would look at the hallmark and say, well, this is Fabergé's hallmark. It, yeah, he could he could get actual Fabergé prices for just any old Russian stuff. What a fucking asshole. God, I just, he's, yeah. I just want to like go back in time just to punch him in the face with the fucking hallmark. Just hallmark his face. That's what I want to do. I want to hallmark his face. That would be, fan as a fun fact, if you ever, you know, if you ever become very rich and you remember us, please subscribe to our Patreon and remember all the help I gave you to get you there. <laughs> uh, one of the things about genuine Fabergé is that hallmarking was a legal obligation and not something anyone was concerned. The makers didn't need anyone to know that shit. Hmm. And Fabergé very specifically would hallmark items before finishing them. And finishing an enamel piece, as Fabergé so often did, involves hiring firing at high temperature yeah. so a lot of them have very hard to read hallmarks Ugh. or hallmarks that were basically obliterated cool so that with Fabergé especially if the mark is too good and too clear too easy to read 
you should be very suspicious. Yeah, so this, all right, so anyone who is actually, um, uh, like, an appraiser for Fabergé, I mean, they're like a sommelier, right? Like, they have to go through <laughs> fucking training out the ass for this because it seems like there's so many... <laughs> Losing it at a sommelier. <laughs> and training out the ass. Yeah, I did that myself. Uh, anyway. Um, that was good. It, yeah, I just can't imagine. It just seems impossible. To be like, yes, this is 1,000% a Fabergé or not a Fabergé. Yeah, it it does. It takes a lot of time. It's It takes... A, 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 there isn't, like, a school for it. It's basically just getting to be friends with people who own... It's said that the only sure way to be able to authenticate them is to handle real Fabergés. <laughs> so, oh. like, you pretty much already have to be rich. Okay, yeah. okay. Fuck you. Okay. If you're a researcher, there are galleries... <laughs> If you're a researcher, there are galleries um, that, like, it's actually pretty easy to get into, like, some of the some of the galleries at the Royal Palace and stuff if you're a researcher with a certain amount of clout. So you can get to handle some of them. Um, but yeah, it, to become an expert, you have to handle them. I mean, that You have makes, to get to know them. And sense. yeah, that's, I mean, that's the rule for anything antique. Oh. Is that, like, to be an expert, you really have to get your hands on it pretty often. Question. Do you put Fabergé eggs in your mouth? I wouldn't know. <laughs> okay. I wasn't sure if there was some kind of <laughs> mouthfeel that was unattainable with the hand, you know, like with pearls or whatever. No. I mean, probably normally because that is how I would identify like a good enamel. Okay. All right. So maybe um, maybe just give a good the enamel, enamel should have a glass finish. Just give the enamel a little lick, you know, just. <laughs> I, yeah, I might, I might touch my teeth. I wouldn't probably wouldn't have to because one of the easy things is that gold doesn't tarnish. So if anyone, if you trot an antique up to me and it is shiny gold, I am going to immediately assume it is real gold. Because fake gold tarnish, everything gold color tarnishes except for real gold. Mm. Assuming everything else is similarly like aged except for the metalwork, I will be like, oh, that's almost certainly real gold. Real gold is one of those things that once you've handled a lot of it, it becomes very easy to spot. Which is like my least favorite thing to tell people because it sounds like such a fucking cop out because it's face like if you know you know but like it's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like antiques are so varied and there's just you know you have to have a certain level of expertise for for this stuff. It's not as simple as I don't know. I think people people um, really have a simplistic idea. I think about antiques sometimes, but. It, antiques isn't you know it's not all wooden tables with curved legs and like pearl jewelry it's fucking uranium glass and fucking rich russian eggs i mean it's all this weird shit and like you know just because just because you're really good at faberge eggs you know you're you're not gonna know shit about this fucking plate from 1750 exactly. you know, or whatever um it's really really niche and specialized so I would never. It's it's like it's one of those things where when people get started, they want there to be checklists, and it's not possible to approach it with that thought. No, I mean there you know there's always some main points as you you know. Oh yeah, I mean as you illustrate, I can make a checklist, but but there's some things you know, but like so I part of my part of my job, so I work in data, but I also um I also train people in how to use databases, so. I often have to make really complicated instructions that have like 9,000 sub steps. And this is sort of similar, right? Where it's like, well, if you pick up the egg and it feels like this, then do this. If it feels like this, then do this. If it doesn't feel like either of those things, then 
do this. <laughs> and then each of yeah, those have... And then ask someone for help. Yeah, and then, like, like, each of those have sub steps, you know. And so it's, yeah, it's less of a list and more like a wildly spreading web that you have no control over. <laughs> exactly. That's a good way to put it. And that is how I will be telling people from now on. <laughs> oh, yeah, Faberge's. Well, I mean, that's... So I'm also really interested in, like... Okay, so... Obviously, you know, the fam- the company got nationalized. There was a revolution. That's all sounds real bad. The com- the family was like, fuck this. We're going to go somewhere else and do this. We don't have to be in this country to do this work. And they fucked off. But then, so how does the, how does it then get resurrected later? That I am unclear on because uh, it's like a variety of legal acquisition of companies it was basically just when the soviets started running out of money and starving their people to death uh yeah i might hate capitalism but that did still happen and it was too bad yeah they were just selling off assets and i think at some point the name like the legal rights to say faberge got sold off as well well and from there it went through an extremely confusing like cascade of sales and acquisitions well you know what um, I'm going to step all over your toes. I went to Fabergé.com and they have a timeline. I wonder. Ah, yes. W- hey, get on those toes. I wonder. That's why I have a, that's why I have a co-host. <laughs> I wonder if. Okay. All right. So uh, there is a section in the timeline called the Fabergés flee. And then the family loses its name. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> all right so let's let's go down depressing history lane with paris because that's the only place they'll take you um all right so from 1918 to 1920 in november peter carl faberge left saint petersburg on the last diplomatic train for riga from where he fled to germany in december eugene together with his mother traveled in darkness by sleigh and on foot to finland the Bolsheviks imprisoned Agathon and Alexander, the Fabergé's two middle sons. Man, this is fucking dark. We have escaping it by sleigh and imprisoned sons. All right. Uh, in, June, wow. in June 1920, Eugene traveled to Germany to take his father to Switzerland, where other members of the family had taken refuge. Peter Carl Fabergé died in Pouli, near Lausanne, in September. The timeline then moves to 1924. Uh, Eugene, together with his brother Alexander, who had managed to escape from the USSR when a friend bribed the guards. Uh, no, no word on Agathon, so that's terrifying. Whoa. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Jesus. Um, so Eugene settled in Paris. Uh, Eugene and Alexander established Fabergé Annecy, which traded in and restored objects made by the House of Fabergé, as well as general jewelry and objets d'art. The pieces they made were clearly marked Fabergé, Paris, so as to avoid any confusion with items made by the House of Fabergé in Russia. The family loses its name. 1937. Sam Rubin, an American of Russian descent, started a perfume business. Upon the suggestion of his friend, Dr. Armand Hammer, who at at the behest of Lenin became the Soviet's first foreign concessionaire, Branded his perfumes Fabergé and formed Fabergé Inc. This was done without the family's permission. Dr. Armand Hammer fucking perfume Satan. Okay. So. Oh, okay. So they just stole it like everything else Armand Hammer did. Yeah. So this is even weirder. So this is just some guy who is like, you know, what's a good name for perfume? 
Fabergé, I guess I'll just incorporate it and not talk to the family at all. That's really fucking weird. All right. Um, 1951, after discovering Ruben's activities. Wow, it took that long. <laughs> wow. All right. You bro- Guys, you didn't notice for that long. It took more than a decade. Uh, the Fabergé family decided to settle out of court so as to avoid high legal fees. Ruben paid just $25,000 US to use their name solely for perfume. That's... That is also weird. so sad. That's so fucking weird. All right. It gets weirder. Um, 1964 through 1989, Samuel Rubin sold Fabergé Inc. to George Barrier's cosmetic company, Rayette, for $26 million. The combined company was called Rayette Fabergé Inc. In 1971, the company's name reverted to Fabergé Inc. In 1984, Fabergé was again sold for $180 million. (sighs) Three years later... Th- this like third ver- fourth version of Fabergé uh, acquired Elizabeth Arden for seven hundred million dollars in nineteen eighty nine. Unilever bought Fabergé for one point five five billion. Noting that Sam Rubin had registered the name for jewelry in nineteen forty six, it registered the Fabergé name as a trademark across a wide range of merchandise internationally and granted licenses to third parties to produce a wide range of products under the Fabergé name. Additionally, it changed the name of a subsidiary from Lever Brothers Limited to Lever Fabergé Limited, meaning that the name associated with Imperial Eggs appeared on a domestic cleaning range for use in lavatories, block drains, cleaning kitchen and bathrooms, as well as washing machines. <laughs> you know, that last line really felt unnecessary. I really... Oh, that felt like a, a blow. Yeah. <laughs> um, in 1990, Victor Mayer uh, GmbH... I'm. I'm not sure what that stands for. Uh, began their relationship with Fabergé, becoming official workmasters. Victor Mayer, the company founder, embodied both talent and interests with these passed on from generation to generation in the 128-year history of the company. Um, so I guess the Mayer family is the one who kind of resurrected the jewelry aspect of it in 1990. Um, and I guess now it's the, fa- the, the Moore family. Wow. Okay. Wow. Um wow. So you kind of see why I was like, never mind, I don't uh <laughs> Wow. I mean, there's even more history after that, but I mean, I really feel like that wow, that really took us through I I just don't understand how it's a, it was a it was a journey. Like some random asshole can steal your family's name because it basically means luxury to people and then you get totally fucked over and then that name gets sold like nine more times and then people steal your ideas a hundred years later. Like, fuck this. God, this is like everything I hate about businesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's all like wicked. And also everyone just forgot about Agathon, huh? Yeah, RIP, man. RIP. Oh, God. It got sold, like, a million more fucking times between 1990 and now. Like, there's so much more history. I'm not reading all of this. You can go to Fabergé.com slash the world of Fabergé slash timeline to read the rest of the insane history of Fabergé. I mean, Fabergé, at this point, like... (laughs) I mean, I I know that you said, you know, I'm sure they're fine craftspeople still, and I'm sure they are. But, like, at this point... The name Fabergé is pretty much like a fucking homeopathic cure. Like, there's so much water diluting it that at this point, it's it, <laughs> there's no oh, it, yes. What a way to say it. Bears no resemblance to the original. Ugh. 
obs officially obsessed with that. <laughs> it's like a homeopathic cure. It's so watered down. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it just bears no resemblance to the original, has no connection to the original. Like you said, you know, perfectly fine pieces, but I really don't think people would be paying, oh, I don't know, $40,000 for a bracelet if it didn't say fucking Fabergé. If it was like Kay's Jewelers, it'd be like $2,000. <laughs> But essentially the same shit, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, fuck. Man, rich, rich yeah, people... It's just the power of a name. <sighs> rich people ruin everything, man. Damn. They really fucking do, though, huh? They really do. As far as I know, they primarily make, like... Fucking, like, mini egg necklaces. Yeah, it looks like they make jewelry. There's also egg bracelets and ear... And, like, a lot of things that aren't egg-shaped, but just kind of... I mean, they look decent, but you can get fancy jewelry like that from any jeweler and it's not gonna be that expensive yeah for like a quarter of the price <laughs> yeah really oh man all right well Fabergé is a lie and um I hope you all enjoyed that very depressing history <laughs> <laughs> I think the tragedy is part of what makes it fascinating I mean it is it is but then I am a grim son of a bitch <laughs> yeah we both are huh wow well I don't know. Um, did did you have any anything else on on the fucking Fabergés? Uh, I just I thought it was interesting that you mentioned weight because actually one of the ways people uh, determine weight is that a real Fabergé should never be heavy. Oh damn! Because they're so lightly crafted, fucking eggs. Yeah, they're so finely, beautifully crafted that they don't have to add stuff on to make it heavy. Eggs from the Fey realm. That's also how you know you get a good cappuccino. It should feel like an empty cup because it should be mostly foam. It's also really fascinating, like, part of the tragedy of the Fabergés losing their name has to do with the fact that uh, Peter Carl Fabergé and, to an extent, Gustave Fabergé pioneered, like, artistic endeavors in jewelry making that have now been forgotten by the world. They didn't get to get passed on. Yeah, that's really sad. Uh, they're, Yeah, they had over 300 different colors of enamel, which currently and no one has found able to be reproduced. They had methods of doing the enameling where you would... So part of how you do the enameling that they did is you take a machine, like a little tiny drill, but it has like a rose-shaped tip, and you make very subtle markings in the metal before you enamel it. And it gives that enamel that like wavy quality. Oh, damn. God, that's I I think this might and, be the saddest part of this whole thing. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Yeah, he had methods of manipulating that that just people are have not found a way to to do again. So Damn. if perhaps we had saved the Fabergés and their legacy, we would have jewelry making skills unheard of. And now it's all gone. Damn. Now it's all just little crappy eggs. Ugh. What a bummer. Well, yeah, what a bummer episode. Fuck. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not sorry for me. I'm sorry for listeners because I feel like I feel like listeners. Sorry for the typically get some pretty lighthearted, fun romps from from you know from you and Ken. And today Paris is here. The fucking cloud descends over all <laughs> antiques, all antiquary. You know, <sighs> can't have the good without the bad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, sources for today include. JewelryDiscovery.co.uk, nine facts about Fabergé eggs, Wartsky.com, a new clue in the hunt for the missing Fabergé and Nécessaire, FabergéResearch.com, the whole website, Fabergé.com, the whole website, <laughs> Artsy.net, 
their article on the history of Fabergé eggs. History.com. Romanov Family Russia Mystery Fabergé Easter Egg. <laughs> Christie's.com. 15 things a collector needs to know about Fabergé. Kfabergé.com. Uh, how to spot a Fabergé fake. Weintraken.nl. <laughs> That's W-I-N-T-R-A-E-C-K-E-N.nl. And RussianSilverAntiques.com. All right. And I also used Fabergé.com for that timeline. So a lot of it's just all, all in one place there. Yeah. Uh, Fabergé.com is helpful. Well, I hope that this um this episode has satisfied your listener base's lust for Fabergé eggs. Um, I hope this solves it for them. I mean, if they if they want to hear more, I'm happy to come back. But I, I don't know that there's much more to be had here. Yeah, I mean, if anyone has any questions, hey, I'm all to see what I can do to answer. Yeah, get in get in that uh, Antiques Freaks Friends group on Facebook. That's right. You can talk to me and Dee on the interwebs um, by using Facebook <laughs> and finding the group. And a host of other really cool people who know a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, um, it's it's really great, actually. I find it's really fun, even as somebody who doesn't know a whole lot about antiques. It's it's a good way to learn, certainly. Um and I don't know, people just post really fun stories, cute stuff, you know, like their kids with their beanie babies or whatever, like haha beanie babies. Um, <laughs> or, you know, I mean, hey, somebody help me date this lamp or like, look at this fucking monstrosity I dragged home from a flea market. And it's it's just a really good time. I've never <laughs> I've never not had a good time on the Antiques Freaks Friends Facebook group. So please join um, much better than any other Facebook group you could possibly be in. I guarantee it. Um, you can also... You can also support the Antiques Freaks by going to their Patreon at patreon.com slash Antiques Freaks, I think. I think that's the address. I'm sure Google will help you. Um, Dee also sells things under the Antiques Freaks label, the House of Antiques Freaks. Um, (laughs) House of Antiques Freaks, which has not been reclaimed. No. That's mine. Which has not been stolen by Arm and Hammer. Um, And I believe you... Well, I don't know about the time... By the time this airs, but I know you had some... (laughs) Some more clowns, uh, lightly roasted Some or more, unroasted. No matter when it airs, no matter when it airs, I guarantee if you want the clown, to- I will have clowns. <laughs> I, I I wasn't kidding. I There was a previous episode where I told Ken I was lying in bed and flapped my arm to the left and hit a clown. This, so, so, like- <laughs> so clowns are like an evergreen stock item. There's always clowns. There will never not be clowns. There will always be clowns. Um, I know you... There's always ravens at the at the Power of London, and there's always clowns in my house. <laughs> I know, um, I know. You also put up some jewelry recently. I don't know if it's all gone at this point in time in the future. Uh, but anyway, hit up that. Hit I up hope that, so. That would be nice. Yeah, but... <laughs> hit, hit up that Antiques Freaks Etsy. Get get in on that Patreon support support the show. Um, if you want to hear more of me, my voice specifically, um, you can listen to my show Terrible Book Club anywhere podcasts are found. We also have a Patreon. Uh, but it might be a little gauche to really go too hard on advertising that in this episode. But, you know, it's out there. Dude, it's go ahead. It's out there if you want it. Hey, you help, you you helped us with this episode. So, so, what can you get on the Patreon? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we, we've got a lot of fun, fun extra content on our Patreon, uh, just like Antiques Freaks has on there. So, you know, you could, you know, maybe, maybe if you throw them a dollar or two, you could, you know, maybe throw us a dollar or two. Just think about it. Consider it. Their extra content is extremely yeah. fun. Uh, I mean, if, if you don't know anything about the show, uh, we read books that we assume are going to be bad and we review them and tell you whether or not they were indeed bad. We've been doing this for whew, 
um technically six years but we took a break in there so really about five uh so yeah been doing this for a while it's uh it's a good time otherwise um i don't know d do you have any other announcements before we, we close it out uh no oh wait yes <laughs> uh if you like this or if you went off and listened to terrible book club even and you can scroll on down to wherever you listen to either of those podcasts and leave us reviews even negative reviews get our dulcet tones into a variety of ears although i find i like the positive reviews the best yeah that's a great point i would i would love some more reviews we just got actually one of the best reviews i think we've got, ever gotten it was very sweet and wonderful um, and thanked us for existing as a podcast, and that's that's the nicest. But you know, if you if you can't quite meet or top that, I understand. But any any old decent review is is good for both of us. Um, I we I think we got a review that was basically just someone saying this is easily the podcast I've listened to all year, and <laughs> honest to God, <laughs> that made my yeah. year, dude. Whenever anybody, whenever. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever anyone genuinely loves something you do, it's the best feeling in the world, and I will I will chase that feeling forever. It's such a good feeling. It it's basically it's been a rough year. It has been keeping me going. Yeah, like whenever we get a nice a nice review or a nice email or I don't know if someone really likes my band or something, it just oh man that's that's like oh man that's that's what I need. It's my lifeblood. But well, speaking of lifeblood, well, D, um, on behalf of Ken, uh, I would like to thank the patrons of the Antiques Freaks for supporting the show and filling our hearts with love. So much love. Thank you. Thank you for all that love. Um, and the, the other best. thing that Ken always says that I just did and can't remember. Um, and thank you for listening. <laughs> Ah, and thank you for not judging me for fucking up the end of this episode. I'd never judge you. <laughs> ah, well, goodbye, fair antiques freaks listeners. I hope to uh, hope to see you over in the terrible, terrible book club, club, terrible book club organization, Inc. Check it out. It's a, it's a fantastic show. <laughs> I recommend it. Thanks, D. Well, uh, to all a good night. I bid you. I can't talk anymore. I'm done. I'm fried. I'm I'm as crispy as a fucking <laughs> goodbye. Crispy as a roasted clown. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>